0: Hi, this is Travis McElroy, your middle good boy, and you're listening to the Good Boys Girls. Have fun! A light breeze rustles through the treetops of the hillsides just outside Huntington, West Virginia, a town that has in recent years suddenly become awash with a popularity its native residents never could have anticipated. Most of it focused on a single family born and raised here, now spread to the corners of the country. Forty-two miles away by car, a gleaming silver statue with blood-red eyes bears the thousands of fingerprints left by eager tourists seeking audience with a monster. But here in Huntington, that monster is temporarily forgotten. There are many monsters in Huntington, you see, and a new monster every week.
1: The medicines, the medicines that escalate.
0: and variations thereupon welcome back to the good boys girls a fan podcast for the mcelroy family of podcasts i'm your co-host alex flanagan and i'm your co-host addison peacock and we are the good boys girls (laughs) hi i love you hi i love you we are not the good boys girls no i got excited Um, though april fools it was like new (laughs) and fresh and fun and flirty but we got you good. Yeah, that was a quite a departure from our original opening. We are, if you are not familiar with us and our dulcet tones, The Cryptid Keepers from The Cryptid Keeper Podcast. Normally, we run an infotainment podcast where we talk about folklore and mythology and monsters, etc, etc, etc. And so today, it seemed like a natural fit for us to slide right on in here and talk to you guys about the Adventure Zone Amnesty. Yeah! Um I think I <laughs> I think that we're multi-qualified for this position. I think so. Um pretty
1: pretty qualified in a lot of ways. Um so like uh for instance, you are from West Virginia on one level where the game is set. I am. Then, yes, I am very from West Virginia. Yes. Then on another level, we just have so many layers. On another level, uh we have our cryptid podcast and they Mm -hmm. are we do dealing with monsters and uh monsters and mysteries um Mm -hmm. and uh another level this has so many layers like a beautiful lasagna um or a cake or anything else with layers parfait ogres um but uh (laughs) um we uh excuse me
0: uh play a monster of the week campaign We do, yes, and we actually record it for people to listen to, so we'll tell you about that later. But for right now, what you need to know, if you are not already hip to this information, is that the Adventure Zone Amnesty is the most recent installment of the Adventure Zone, long-form campaign-wise. It is a Monster of the Week campaign, which takes place in the fictional town of Kepler, in the non-fictional state of West Virginia, contrary to popular belief. I was gonna say, are you I, sure? Um, I literally cannot tell you how many times growing up I had people who thought it was like fun and like whimsical to taunt me about West Virginia not being a real state. It was like, it is a real That's state. a really weird That's a really weird neg. It's a really
1: weird thing to say, especially if those people were from Virginia, which isn't a state. It is a Commonwealth.
0: Yeah um, <laughs> yeah. oh. Uh, But yeah, West Virginia is a state, it's a beautiful state. Monster of the Week is a game, it's a beautiful game. (laughs) Unlike Dungeons & Dragons, Monster of the Week is a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which means that it is based on the original set of rules that was popularized with a game called Apocalypse World. And all games that sort of sprung off of that initial framework are called Powered by the Apocalypse. Monster of the Week doesn't have anything to do with the Apocalypse. It's a tonal game that's meant to emulate genre TV in the style of Monster of the Week shows, like um, The X-Files or Supernatural or um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like that kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. But it's rules light. It's super wide open and improvisational. And I think that it really lends itself super well to storytelling in a way that's very different from the heavily structured framework of Dungeons and Dragons. I love it. I love this game. It's so super fun. So, yeah, uh, we have been playing Monster of the Week for about as long as the McElroys have been playing Monster of the Week. Hell yeah. We did not do that on purpose. <laughs> no, we really didn't. Kind of heard about the game at the same time and was like, oh, Dunk, uh, let's play this thing. Because we needed some Patreon content for the Cryptid Keeper. And we were like, well, you know, we like tabletop games. Let's try this out. Um and then they were doing it for Amnesty and then ended up picking it up for their long-form campaign once they were done their experimental mini-arcs. So that kind of quashed that, and it actually ended up affecting some of the choices that we made for our campaign Mm because I was basically terrified to occupy anything within a hundred-mile radius of the griffin McElroy sphere. (laughs) (laughs) That
1: way lies danger. Um... That way lies
0: danger and accidental plagiarism. (laughs) And
1: the internet plays really fast and loose with what it considers plagiarism nowadays,
0: apparently, so fair. Yeah, you're super not wrong. But uh, much like the Adventures in Balance, Amnesty is comprised of Griffin McElroy as the Dungeon Master, which in this game is called the Keeper of Monsters and Mysteries. And Keeper is sort of a different role than Dungeon Master, and we'll touch on that a little bit, because I think it's something that's pretty neat about Powered by the Apocalypse games and the way that they're structured. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Travis and Justin and their father, Clint. So, they're all still playing together. Griffin stole the DM, effectively. And everybody is bringing some pretty pretty weird and wild characters to the table yeah. this time around. Friend of the cryptic keeper, Clint McElroy. Um, oh, God. Clint McElroy, if you're listening, we love you. He has a t-shirt. <laughs> He does. He has a Crypto Keeper t-shirt. Was I allowed Um, to say that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. It may interest you to know that this is not a Taz Commitment episode, but if you listen to Taz Commitment, you may have noticed some NPCs in there named Flanagan and Addison, and I'm just saying... That was not a coincidence. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It was not. But Um, this is about Amnesty. Yes. And I love the characters that they brought to the table in Amnesty. I think it's a very fun bunch. They are super fun. So what do we want to talk about first? Do we want to talk about the game Monster of the Week? Do we want to talk about the setting? Do we want to talk about the characters? Um, well, I can say
1: right now, that so that I don't forget details of the characters, I have the Adventure Zone wiki pulled up on each of their character pages um, because I was afraid so I would forget with, things. <laughs> so let's start with characters. I love Duck Newton. Duck Newton is a perfect,
0: wonderful boy. <laughs> that was just...
1: That was all, that's all I have to contribute episode over. But... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, no, Duck is great. So hey, Duck some. Newton, Duck Newton is the character played by Justin. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about about Duck and his whole situation? Um, I mean, he's a forest ranger. Mm-hmm.
1: Um He is like a very hardworking forest ranger. Um, I don't know why I just described it that way. Um, he uh, was from the the Chosen playbook, right?
0: Uh yeah, so here's okay. here, this is a good point. Let's maybe decide sort of right out the gate. We're not gonna get super square Oh Yeah, sorry. Be He's just, just because yeah. just because Amnesty is still running. Right. And I don't want to, like, ruin it for people who don't want to be ruined. I, I basically I want people who have not really yet jumped into Amnesty
1: yes, for sorry. whatever reason
0: to be able to sort of uh be tantalized and maybe fall yes, in love yes, with yes. Amnesty and jump into the rich and wonderful world. So Uh, So, yes, Duck Newton is the chosen playbook. Yes, he's a a
1: forest ranger and a handsome boy. (laughs) (laughs) Canonical? Yes. Good. Well, apparently, Um, according to the trivia section of the wiki, uh, Duck briefly called himself a bear and not necessarily the animal kind.
0: So, (laughs) that tells me a lot. uh, Good times. Um, So, the chosen playbook is a specific kind of archetype in Monster of the Week, and instead of choosing a class, like fighter or cleric or wizard or what have you, you choose these archetypes, and the archetypes are based on the kinds of character archetypes that show up over and over and over again in Monster of the Week-style TV shows. So the Chosen would be your Buffy's, your... Give me another example of the Chosen. Sam and Dean, yeah. There could be an argument for them being some of the other playbooks, too, but definitely... Like, the one who has a destiny that is calling them forward that maybe is kind of a, a reluctant hero who accepts their fate and has um, to the, boldly go forward in a world that they're unprepared for. The,
1: the, the ladies on Charmed, the sisters.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another another good Chosen. Um, most
1: supernatural stuff has a Chosen somewhere in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Or if um, they don't, it's usually because there's, like, a deliberate subversion of that going on, but, like...
0: Right, um, exactly. there's a
1: not very good TV show on Netflix right now called The Order, <laughs> and the protagonist of that is a chosen. Uh, I've not seen The Order and right now I probably um, won't. It's it's um this is not what this show is about, but uh real quick, real, real, real quick. Um it is about uh there's like a secret society of warlocks. And there's like a secret, so- of, or like magic users. I don't know if, or like witches, I
0: guess, maybe. And there's a secret society oh, of And then werewolves? the two main characters are like in love and it's against the witch laws. Is that right? Is that the one I'm thinking of? There's so many shows like this.
1: Well, they're not supposed to be in, they're allowed to be in love. And then he gets turned into a werewolf and then it's like forbidden. He's like a secret werewolf because the werewolves are the enemies of the magic users. So I watched This is even stupider than I thought. I watched two episodes of it on my friend's couch um while she had it on in the background while she was doing laundry. So to be completely fair, my conception of the plot and the story arc is not
0: super clear. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway. Anyway, uh so the chosen so pops up is a the lot. chosen. <laughs> So, Duck Newton is the Chosen. Yeah. He is a park ranger. That's his full-time job in Kepler, West Virginia, yeah. which is fictionally set on the uh, like edge of the Monongahela State Forest in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the Chosen, he has this sort of supernatural destiny that has been placed upon him. And part of Duck's whole story and situation that's really kind of interesting is you mentioned like subversions of Chosen tropes, and Duck is a really good one because... He has this burden of destiny placed upon him and has basically his entire life just kind of chosen not even to actively run in the other direction, but just kind of to ignore it. Like Mm -hmm. he has this magic weapon, this talking sword named Beacon that he straight up just like gave to a friend and had lock away in their like their, you know, back room forever because he was like, oh, I don't want this. It's drunk. You take it. Um, mm-hmm. and just kind of, like, has these these visions and this mentor that speaks to him in this commanding voice, and he's just kind of like, yeah, not interested, bye. <laughs> no, So thanks. he's just the most normal dude in the entire world, actively choosing not to be a Chosen, and is a very fun character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think especially as a juxtaposition to, like, the other characters that we've heard Justin play in the other Adventure Zone arcs, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And he talked a little bit about this on the most recent The, the Adventure Zone Zone, where, specifically in contrast to, uh, like, Taco from Adventure Zone Balance, he is not <laughs> the most, mm, like, subtle or intellectual problem solver. Duck is somebody who kind of, like, stumbles over every single lie he tries to tell. Oh, it's so good. And it's really, really excellent. And it's just, again, like, a, a totally normal guy who does not really have any interest whatsoever in picking up the threads that the universe has woven into his fate until, of course, he meets up with the other characters and things kind of get kicked off into this this rollicking adventure. Um, so another character that is very, very fun on this show is Travis's character, who Aubrey. is Aubrey. Yes. Um, I love Aubrey so much. The one who so looks much. like you? <laughs> no. <laughs> There's straight up, uh, we have a friend of the Cryptid Keeper podcast who straight up do, drew a version of Aubrey and said, like, yeah, this was inspired by you, and it was the most honored I've ever felt by anything in my life. But Aubrey's great. She actually doesn't look like me because it's I now been revealed. I, I think that she's canonically Puerto Rican. Oh, okay, but um, um, fair. So she's not me. But, the initial, like, description of the haircut, though, was, like... Oh, yeah, 100%. You have the same haircut. Aubrey, Aubrey is a spell slinger. Which is a playbook that is somebody who has magic, but not in a sort of, um, like, innate and subtle way. It's somebody who specifically has, like, an offensive magic that yeah. they can wield as a weapon in kind of uncontrollable and unpredictable ways. I have played this playbook. Uh, I did it in a, in a couple yeah. of one-shots um, that we did um anyway that's just what's your favorite thing about the spell slinger playbook
1: um i think the fact that you have to like actively have something that your character does that is obvious when they want to like use their magic so it involves mm-hmm. having to sort of be forced to create this narrative just like this narrative justification for w- w- why either people see you do it and are just like cool with it or are like what is wrong like for example <laughs> 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 my uh, my character betsy bennett who i created was a spell slinger is a spell slinger i still use her sometimes she uh has to recite Latin incantations to use her magic. And so the canonical explanation I gave for this
0: is that everyone just knows her as being, like, super Catholic. Which is fantastic because She's the, prey. the one-shots that we do take, take place in 1950s, like, small, small, small town Alaska. And Betsy is this, like, teeny bopper in a poodle skirt who's just like, I'm super Catholic. She's so Catholic. She prays in Latin and sometimes does it out of nowhere for no reason. It's it's really very good. But that's a yeah. really good pull because that's an interesting thing about the Spellslinger is that they can't just sort of, like, um, you know go behind somebody's back and, like, magic them out of the scene. Like, they have to do something very obvious and very present mm-hmm. when they want to make a show of force. You have to have these, um, you also have to have, conflict like, som-
1: an, you have to have, like, a few items always on your person mm-hmm. that you
0: need, like, uh, to, like, do your magic. Like, you can't just do it. Um, and that's a conflict sometimes because in Monster of the Week, you're very frequently dealing with just normal people. The worlds that you're operating in are possibly using fantasy elements but they very much are grounded in this sense of like there are real people and real consequences that you have to deal with so anyway the way that Aubrey gets around this spell singing is that she is a career stage magician mm. she is somebody who her entire life has done sleight of hand and like little fire tricks she's called the lady flame and she has a little rabbit that like works with her called dr harris bonkers mm. he has his phd it's very good um but Aubrey basically and this is not a spoiler it's literally in the opening episode in the middle of a stage routine, basically casts actual fire and suddenly has to cope with this understanding of like, oh my gosh, um, I did real magic. I don't know what that means. I don't know where this is coming from. And then has to go on this journey of sort of self discovery, figuring out where these powers are coming from, why they're growing stronger, what that means for her and like has her whole life sort of shaken upside down Mm
1: -hmm.
0: instantly. The last main player character is the illustrious Ned Chicane, which, First of all, what an incredible name. Ned Ned Chicane is extremely powerful, also, and we should all fear him. I'm so
1: angry. I'm so angry. Having, like, a person who's, like, kind of morally iffy, like, having the last name Chicane, like, chicanery, makes me, like, r- in like enraged. It's so good. It's, it's just just really such good. a good name. Oh, it's really good. I'm furious.
0: It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible pull. And Ned Chicane is, of course, played by Clint McElroy. In, I think, one of his finest performances. The Podfather. The Podfather. Ned chicane is from the Crooked playbook, which is your standard kind of individual with a shady background who maybe would rather not talk about where they came from or the things they've done to get here. But what's fun about Ned is that that is sort of his past and his backstory, but he's now at a point where his main occupation is running the really shady roadside supernatural museum. He's Grunkle Stan. Um, Sorry. He's Grunkle Stan. He literally is Grunkle Stan. I... He runs a shop called the Cryptonomica, mm-hmm. which basically peddles um, super fake cryptid merch and sightings and paranoia. And it's it's so good. I say this it's so this with fun. all the so love weird. In my heart.
1: It's the Mystery Shack.
0: It is the Mystery Shack. No, it straight up is. And Clint has said that he did not watch Gravity Falls before making this character, which is frankly wild because it's literally Grunkle Stan.
1: Um, but, like, also to me proves the, like, there are no original ideas thing. Like, um, there's so much overlap. And it's because it's different. Like, it's a different spin. But,
0: like, the basis of the totally. character. It's like they're drawn yeah, exactly. from the same uh, framework. Yeah, exactly. And I love them both. Well, and that's the thing about Monster of the Week, right? Is that it's built on these tropes, stereotypes, yeah. like these archetypes, these tropes. And the understanding of those tropes is sort of implicit to making the game work. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really fun. And it's something that I love so much about the game. Um, and then Griffin, of course, is the keeper. And I am the keeper in our Monster of the Week game. So I am just always ready at a moment's notice. Aw, thanks.
1: Also, but- we run a podcast called The Cryptid Keeper. <laughs> Yeah, I am both a keeper and a keeper. And a keeper. And a keeper. Lots of them. And yet again, so many keepers. But yeah, and um, actually, if you'd like to kind of, to not to like guide the conversation too much, but if you want to pivot and talk a little bit about what it is like to be a keeper versus like a more traditionally like what someone might think of as a
0: DM. Yeah, I'd love to actually, because um, funnily enough, my first experience with tabletop gaming was like so many people playing Dungeons and Dragons, and that was inspired by listening to Taz Balance, um, which, again, I think is true for literally hundreds of people who started playing D&D because of Taz Balance. I think more, probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Somewhere in the neighborhood of thousands. And I loved it. I really had a great time playing D&D and really, really got into it. Um, And then I tried once to run D&D, and it was a disaster. (laughs) i was so bad at it i was really 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 bad at running DD. um and the people that i ran it for have since said like no it was great um but they are my friends and they want to keep playing monster of the week with me so they have to say nice things but it was um it was just like not great and i was in this headspace of thinking like holy cow i am a terrible gm i can't do this and then we tried Monster of the Week. And I offered to GM it because I figured that it wouldn't happen unless I did. (laughs) Yeah. And I really wanted to play it. Um, And so we picked up this system and basically from the moment we set foot in that world, it was just such a totally different experience. Like night and day difference in running D&D and running Monster of the Week. And Monster of the Week pretty much fit like a glove from day one. Just the kind of brain space that i occupy and the kind of stories i'm interested in telling mm-hmm. worked so much easier for me in monster of the week and i think that's probably true for a lot of people so this is just my little plug to say that if you tried running DD and you were heartbroken because it went terribly um just try a different game mm-hmm. like since going down that rabbit hole i've now gotten pretty heavily into like the indie gaming community and i've designed a few tabletop games myself and what i have learned is that there is something out there for literally everyone hey, alex there are game yeah what are your games oh man don't make me plug them right now I have to okay I wrote a game called Coffee Detective which is basically like a riff on Twin Peaks sort of genre fiction um, which is like a party game that's super rules light it's like all improv there's no die rolling it's just a deck of cards and you and some friends making up a whole bunch of crazy nonsense Um, I wrote a monster of the week hack for like running monster of the week mini games called hide and seek which is uh, basically a way to put a hide behind into your game which is kind of fun yes And then I wrote a game collection recently that I released called Work Play, which is a collection of 10 200 word RPGs, all of which are designed to help you get like basic household tasks done when you have executive dysfunction. So so they're all like little mini games that are designed like the mechanic in this game isn't rolling a die, it's making your bed or the mechanic in this game isn't rolling a die, it's washing the dishes, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, all of that just to say that there's a system out there for literally everybody. So if you've tried D&D and you can't hack it and you're really upset um, and you've sworn off tabletop gaming, like try something else, please. Try like at least one more thing because there is a game out there that is a perfect fit for you. There is a Cinderella slipper game somewhere in the community. And the indie games community is amazing. And a lot of them are honestly like a lot less gatekeepy than D&D is. Oh, Yeah. Because there are some takes out there, my friends. Um. Yeah, I saw one a couple
1: of days ago. I will not give the person the attention that they so desperately, obviously crave by saying the at or anything. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of other people also saw the person who was like, I never play D&D with women. Uh, they always yeah, ask me they to re- do things to make them more comfortable. Um, so that
0: was yeah like, geez, wow, wild. Um anyway, um, not so. anyway, but Monster of the Week is much more, in my opinion, um collaborative. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that the the role of the keeper is different than the role of the DM. And that's true because the keeper's role is really to, provide leads and then let the players shape the story that they want to be telling and exploring. Whereas a dungeon master's job is more to orchestrate a world and let the players inhabit it. Mm -hmm. So something that's really cool about being a keeper is that you have a lot more flexibility in terms of, uh, I guess it feels more like you're a player at the table. Like when we're playing monster of the week, I feel much more like I am on the same level as all of you guys, and I also don't know what the end is going to be, which is really cool. Like One of the core rules of Powered by the Apocalypse games that it will tell you in every Powered by the Apocalypse system is you play to find out what happens, which is true. I never know the ending of an adventure before we get there. Um, Sometimes I don't even know like what the next thing we're doing is until you guys say, well, we want to go to the arcade, and I'm like, all right, there's an arcade now, (laughs) which is a real life example. Yeah, we did. We invented a business invented a business all the time. But it's really cool because it means that everybody has equal stakes in the world that you're creating. And while I loved Taz Balance, and while I loved watching Griffin just spin these incredible landscapes and story hooks and these phenomenally complicated plots out of nothing, I personally find for me that it's a much more rewarding experience to be able to co-create a world with these people that are really meaningful to me and then to explore what that world means to all of us together. Hell yeah.
1: Am I allowed to do a mild swear? Is that allowed? I don't know the rules. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. No, do the swears that you want to do. It was just a mild one. I'm not going to... I can't do any of the R-rated swears because that makes the <laughs> show have to get flagged as
0: explicit and yeah. I don't want to do that. I think this might be an explicit tag show anyway. I don't remember. I'm not, Our show is family friendly, so we have to kind of like really pull ourselves since, into a different headspace. Since this
1: is a McElroy uh, show based like in sp- like McElroy uh, discussion show, I am going to make a Griffin McElroy reference real quick and say uh, I'm going to do a swear. Bastard. Um, <laughs>
0: There's a classic humor.
1: Which is... Griffin on, a, on an old
0: Monster Factory episode. Um, well, speaking about the world of Monster of the Week versus the world of d and I want to talk about Kepler. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Kepler. Boom. So, Kepler is the, again, fictional town where Taz Amnesty takes place. It is a little resort town in the Monongahela National Park. And the Monongahela National Park is real. I was um, going to say... Ski resorts are very real in West Virginia. There's a lot of skiing in West Virginia. I was going to say,
1: you've been to the Monongahela, haven't you? Or did I make that up?
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to be on vacation there in, like, two weeks. Okay, so, so you
1: can prove that it's real.
0: <laughs> I can. I'll take pics. Um, And we're actually going to be staying in Davis, West Virginia, which I'm pretty sure is, like, kind of a real-life analog for Kepler. It's, like, it's also... Very close to Canaan um, Valley, which is a ski resort in the Monongahela National Park. So you know it's all it's all right up in there. But Kepler uh, has a couple of things that are specifically important about it. Yeah. First things first, it's home to the Amnesty Lodge, which is where the Ark gets its name. Mm-hmm. And the Amnesty Lodge is the sort of. Uh, Formerly, very populous ski lodge, but now that Kepler has sort of died down a bit as a tourist town, it is home to a whole bunch of what are essentially shifters. And that is a little bit of a first arc spoiler, sorry. But the group of people that lives in the Amnesty Lodge are people who also have like these strange supernatural qualities about them. And they're townspeople who have formed this sort of close-knit little community for their survival but they are also like cryptids essentially and so the lore of amnesty is that um you know some of the creatures that exist in our world that have been flagged as like bigfoot or mothman or uh werewolves or what have you are actually these people from this other realm that in this world have to sort of take on human shapes and try to navigate that duality exactly so that's the amnesty lodge um Kepler also is close to the uh, the big satellite telescopes. so it means that there's limited cell service there, which is like a very fun way that Griffin sort of built in limited technology into his, monster of the week game Mm because one of the challenges of running a monster of the week game is that monster of the week games or monster of the week shows were really really popular in like the 90s and early 2000s so um (laughs) failure to communicate was a really easy plot point and nowadays that's not so easy yep because like if if i were um face to face with a Bigfoot, i would straight up just live tweet it
1: yeah exactly it gets a little uh gets a little tricky when you try to make that work
0: yeah, but, you know, you can always build fun things into your fictional world yeah. to make it work. And that's his justification, or which is very fun. you fine. can do what Alex did and set it in the 90s. In 1996, so you don't have to deal with it. And so we have to Google 1996 technology literally every second And here's of the thing.
1: That's the only thing we seem to care about the accuracy
0: of. <laughs> I know. There's no other consistency like, in the lore. I
1: had to Google and make sure Hotmail existed, but I didn't care about making sure, like, what park rangers do or how beepers work. <laughs> We <laughs> um, just decide for sure if my character owns a
0: beeper. I'm so sorry, Alex. We're just that Griffin McElroy beam of the. I don't know how park rangers work, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Yep. Um. And it's
1: see, it's all it's all McElroy adjacent out here. It's all jazz, baby. It's all uh, it's all good. Um. I. <laughs> oh yes. man. Sorry. I'm like but yeah. So in an energetically strange place. All right. It's okay. You're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. Okay. I'm here. I'm out here. I'm doing it. I'm with you.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Kepler actually is the main reason that I fell in love with Amnesty the second I pressed play. Because, uh, like I've alluded to a little bit, as a native West Virginian, I was born and raised in Morgantown for the first 18 years of my life, and I only left when I went to go to college, and then you know my family moved out of the way, so I have not permanently resided in West Virginia in several years. But I did spend my entire formative life there. Like, I am 100% a product of West Virginia, as anybody who talks to me for more than 30 seconds will know. But when I was growing up in West Virginia, it was not a thing to be proud of to be from West Virginia. Mm. There was really nothing you had going for you inherently, right? Like I said, people I would meet from other places thought it was, like, fun to kind of just make fun of West Virginia. And people thought it was a good time to like make incest jokes or roadkill jokes or hillbilly jokes. And that is something that I really internalized from a very young age. And it wasn't until I got to high school and I had an English teacher who I totally loved. He was like an amazing mentor to me in my education and really, really shaped a lot of the ideas and attitudes that I had going forward with regards to my education and my sort of personal missions in this world. Um, But he gave me an amazing opportunity, which was to help him pioneer an Appalachian studies class. And so I helped him build this, like uh, the syllabus for the class and pick out the literature. And I did like all this independent study with him and ended up kind of falling in love with the world that I was from and really realizing like, you know what? there are absolutely problems here, but those same problems are everywhere. And people who are targeting West Virginia for those problems are really just finding a way to absolve themselves of responsibility by assuming that they live somewhere that it's not a big deal. And so like, here's the thing, like is racism a problem in West Virginia? Absolutely. But if you think racism isn't a problem anywhere you're from, you're willfully ignoring it. And, I don't know, I just, I really fell in love with this place that I was from and this identity that had been so responsible for everything that had shaped me. And being from a long line of people who were inherently, like, artists and storytellers and survivors, and that was so cool to me. And so ever since I've left West Virginia, I've been, like, one of the most outspoken proponents for everything that the state has to offer. And so when I started listening to Amnesty, it was really, really amazing because it was the first time I'd ever heard a piece of media or a story that was so lovingly rendered with so much just like implicit detail about the place that it very clearly was. And even if you had not told me like Kepler is in West Virginia, when I pressed play on that first episode, like I would have known immediately, like there were so many just warm and wonderful details about this place that like were threaded into the fabric of the story that made it, that it was just this really, really amazing love letter to the community that these boys grew up in. And I thought that was really, really something worth noting. That's so lovely. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I mean, obviously like the McElroys have done a ton for West Virginia. Like, Not only just with all the charity that they do every year for Candle Nights and, like, supporting the young people in their hometown and creating these frameworks all across the state and bringing in tourism for their shows. And just, like, I I mean, we went to the Candle Nights show. We did! Last year. And we visited. And we visited the Mothman statue and everything in Point Pleasant and Huntington. And... Uh, I've been to the Live Candlelight Show two years in a row now, and it's been amazing both times. But it's so wild to see so many people flocking to Huntington, West Virginia, which when I was growing up was never the case. And just to watch people really fall in love with a place that I learned to fall in love with and really be proud of has been like a really cool experience. And I think that in addition to all of the really phenomenal philanthropic work that the boys have done, that's something that I'm really, really grateful for. Mm. Absolutely. And I think Amnesty has made even more people fall in love with West Virginia. So go visit. Yes. Go do a tourism. Go to the Monongahela National Forest. It's beautiful. Go to the Mothman Museum. Go to the Mothman Museum. It's in Point Pleasant. Uh, it's great. We went and it's, it's great. So go fantastic. touch Mothman's butt. You can. You can. They won't stop you. you. There There are are no Mothman cops. There's no law against
1: it. You can just do it.
0: (laughs) Did you know you can legally touch the Mothman's butt and no one can stop you? No one. They can't do anything. No one.
1: (laughs) But uh, I did it. I'll tell you that right now. Um.
0: There are pictures. There are so many pictures. There are a lot of pictures. Um, there are a lot of pictures.
1: I didn't mean to. I was. I didn't mean to. I was. Didn't mean to take away from the your beautiful moment of like actual
0: honesty, emotional <laughs> no, honesty, and realness. Let's do it. Let's get on this emotional roller coaster together. <laughs> Two people per seat, baby. Mm.
1: Prepare for steep drops, baby. Um, I don't know if that. What that means. It might be a metaphor for depression. I don't know. All right. So anyway. Uh, well, that's
0: an interesting thing that you bring up, because... Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, man, no, that's a wild thing to talk about. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the storytelling in Amnesty. Yeah. Because, and this is going to be me, like, nerding out a little bit, no, totally. again, as a keeper. Um, because, again, I am a keeper for a Monster of the Week campaign, and I uh, love listening to other people do Monster of the Week campaigns, because as much as it makes me viscerally insecure about what I'm doing, it's also a great learning experience. And Mm -hmm. something that I find fascinating about Griffin's storytelling is that while he is somebody who I have just so much respect for as a storyteller, he and I approach just like structure of Monster of the Week and what it sort of implicitly means like very, very differently. And I was actually just thinking about this because I was listening to the the Adventure Zone zone today, the most recent one that they did for Max twenty nineteen, and he was talking a little bit about his process, mm-hmm. and it uh, just sort of snapped some things into perspective for me because it he was talking in a certain way about things that he thought were sort of like inherently true about. Monster of the Week and the Monster of the Week format that I have kind of found to be like opposite to the way that I think about it and the way that I approach it, which I just find very interesting. And I would love to get your perspective on this because you are a player in my Monster of the Week campaign and yeah. it's, it's interesting to me. So Griffin was basically talking about how in Monster of the Week, everything is sort of much more tense, like all the time than you have in D&D, which I definitely think it's true. Like, part of the story sort of relies on keeping this momentum going. Otherwise, it just kind of falls apart because it's so player-driven. Right. But at the same time, he was talking about how, like, his construction of the monsters has been pretty much to just sort of keep the challenges as, like, different and interesting technically as he can all the time. And talking about how... He doesn't really feel like there's ever a lot of time just to build the characters and their relationships. And so he feels like in some ways the characters have been kind of static um, because he doesn't feel like there's time for them to jump in and explore the world around them and just like go have fun. And I thought that was really fascinating because something that I've done as a Monster of the Week keeper, and I, I won't pretend to know how effectively I've done it, but something that I've tried to do anyway is to always base my monsters around whatever personal conflict I want the characters to be confronted with at that period in time. Um, and it's funny cause I was talking to Andrew about this earlier and Andrew is another player in our monster of the week campaign. And he, uh, <laughs> and you'll laugh about this. Mm-hmm. He was kind of stunned to find out like some of the meanings behind the monsters that I had presented you guys with that I thought was fairly obvious. Um, But that's neither here nor there. What's cool, I think, about Monster of the Week is that anytime you put people up against a scary thing, you're kind of implicitly forced to examine what about that thing is scary. Which means you're kind of implicitly forced to examine what you are scared of yourself and why you're scared of it. And I think that that is such a natural vehicle for putting people in intimate situations. Not, like, romantically intimate or sexually intimate. Mm -hmm. I just mean, like... When you're putting a group of people together and telling them they have to go fight a terrifying monster, like, that's a bonding experience to me. Right. And I think that Monster of the Week is such a cool game because, one, it's so player-driven, and two, it's so wide open, and three, it's so, like, full of imagery, and it's got these characters who don't have, like, tons of armor or, or 500 hit points. Like, in Monster right. of the Week, everybody has seven hit points, and that's it. If you run out, you die. Yeah. Forever. And so you've got these high-stakes scenarios, but I think for me that that has only ever opened up the kinds of things that we can talk about and the kinds of experiences we can have and the kinds of stories we can navigate at the table. And I definitely won't pretend that my stories are ever as like tightly woven as Griffin's are because he's been doing this a lot longer than I have, and he's a master of his craft, and we just approach it very differently. But I am actually really, really grateful because playing Monster of the Week, I think, has made me a better friend to my friends. And I think that it has made our little table group a lot closer as individuals because we've really gotten to explore some very scary and intimate spaces together and come out on the other side of it, um, having leaned on some strengths that we didn't know we had. And I think that that's a really cool thing about monster stories.
1: I agree. And I I think, I'm sorry, I don't have a ton to add to that because I feel like you summarized it really beautifully and in a way that I don't know that I can really match, um, but that it has provided a safe sort of exploratory space for some very heavy and some very dark stuff, but also for these very joyful moments and very Mm -hmm. light moments and very funny moments, and I'm just very glad for it. Yeah, definitely. I'm just very grateful
0: for it. Aw, me too. (laughs) I get really emotional about tabletop gaming in general. I think that it's an incredible space to sort of intentionally craft a version of yourself that you want to explore whether that looks like you on the surface or doesn't mm-hmm. and to sort of project that out into the world avatar style and or just run around and maybe figure out a little bit more about who you want to be when you step back from the table absolutely and i think that's gorgeous that seems like
1: that seems like a good sentiment to kind of bring things home on i don't know not trying to rush you. I just being yeah. like, that's a good... No,
0: you're good. I'm trying to figure out if there's anything else that we need to talk about. Um. Yeah, it's a great show. Uh, Absolutely. You should definitely go listen to it. Amnesty is so much fun. It is a really evocative and immersive world. It really explores the Monster of the Week genre in a way that I think is very fun and very folksy, but also, like, genuinely pulse-pounding at times. Mm-hmm. It's... It's a really tense ride, and in classic Griffin style, like, the backstory is extravagant and intricate, and there are secrets around every corner. Like, I know that people were really worried when we stepped away from balance that we weren't ever going to get back to that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, like, the skills that each of those guys brought to the table playing together for years and years and years, like are on full display in Amnesty. It's a really, really neat experience because there are some really intuitive and like fascinating storytelling moments. Mm -hmm. And it's cool because even though Griffin is kind of the one like steering it, you really get to hear everybody take a much more active role as a storyteller. And I think that for that reason, it's probably the most collaborative of the arcs that they've done. Absolutely. So, yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to say about it? I feel like we didn't really do a lot information-wise, but I, again, I don't really want to spoil anybody. also, yeah, anybody I don't want to
1: spoil the stuff. You know what I mean?
0: Because I think it's a beautiful ride that you should all get into. Yeah. Like,
1: if you want to know what happens on the show, you can listen to it. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean, though? You know what I mean. Yeah, no, I get you. Maybe we should just talk a little bit more briefly about how, like, I don't know. I was going to say, like, we were talking more about how Monster of the Week as a game works, but, like, I don't know that people want really to hear that. I don't know if that's interesting to anybody.
1: There, maybe, Mothman's in it. Yeah. Maybe we could just, uh, um, I'm just gonna, I'll wrap up and just kind of, I won't, I'll just say, like, my experience, my background in terms of how how I got into the McElroys and how that whole thing yeah. happened. Since I'm never probably gonna host this show again. Uh <laughs> this is a special occasion. <laughs> I'll say that I, uh, Got introduced to my brother, my brother, and me a long time ago um, when I was in high school. So, probably a good, um, when I was about like 16. So, like a good, oh my God, seven years ago.
0: We're old.
1: Yeah, I didn't like that. What just happened just then? Uh, So, I good seven years ago, I got introduced to them, like pretty early. And uh, it was my first serious boyfriend uh, when I was in high school was a very big fan of my brother, my brother, and me. And he introduced me to it. And uh the relationship did not last but I and so I and and then I abandoned the show for a couple of years because I had like weird memory associations. I understand. Yeah. Of and course. then I one day was like bored and and li- wanted to listen to podcasts. It was when I went to college. It was when I started college. I spent a lot of time just in my room by myself because I was really depressed. And I started listening to the podcast again and I and had a lot of fun with it. And then I kind of just was on and off with it. And then I got really into Monster Factory. <laughs>
0: And then I made somebody watch a Monster Factory video with me. I remember the specific words Monster Factory Film Festival (laughs) applying to an event that we had in your apartment living room where we bought so many snacks. Yeah! And then we sat down and just binged, like six Monster Factory episodes at once. And in fact, we came up with a devised schedule, a devised viewing schedule for what, for the proper order to introduce somebody to Monster Factory in, um, which was very silly. I think we... Fitting that we now play Monster
1: of the Week together. I know. I just, yeah, I just wanted to add that little personal touch and say, like, because I've been familiar with the family's works for quite some time. Um, And, uh... It's yeah, been in.
0: Are you familiar with the oeuvre of the
1: Macleroy? I am. I am familiar with the oeuvre. The um, <laughs> <well>, oeuvre.
0: <laughs> that was vile. Yeah, that was a horrible sound I just made. That was
1: that was terrible. All right. Are you
0: are you done? Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> oh no! Great! Awesome! No. Uh. Yeah. So. Thank you for that experience, because you are, of course, the person that brought me into the McElroy sphere. And it's funny, because I also distinctly remember you telling me about them for, like, ever and ever and ever being like, Oh, my brother, my brother, and me, you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And then you're like, they're from West Virginia, let's watch Monster Factory. And I was like, well, (laughs) now you've piqued my interest. Uh, So, I'm glad that they are doing this now. Um... I think that's something that's very cool about Amnesty, and this might be me projecting mm-hmm. a little bit, because this is kind of how I currently feel about our Monster of the Week group, uh-huh. is that uh, Monster of the Week games sort of work best in small towns. There's just something about, like, the small town feeling... Mm. Oh, no, it does work better. Makes it, ...that makes the stakes so much higher and makes everybody mean so much more to each other and, like, makes the potential for lives lost to be so much more devastating. And like, harder to keep secrets and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it just, it works best there. But something that has really been a godsend for me in our game is about, uh, well, I I guess about six months ago at this point, we started playing a little over a year ago. And about six months ago, we all reached this point in our lives where we were suddenly moving to, like, drastically different places. And so of the four of us, now two of us are, like, in Virginia. And then one of us is in California and one of us is in New York state. And it's hard. It's been a hard transition to be that far away from these people who I felt like I was just really starting to get a handle in this friendship with. And so one of my favorite parts of the week is when we get to come to this space that we've created together and even though it's a virtual space it's still a space that all of us live in and I know that every time I go there I'm going to see you guys Yeah. and I think that for the McElroys it must be really really nice to have this spot that's so close to home and so even when they're all like so far away and you know I, they see each other a lot more now because they're all on tour together all the freaking time which is awesome um but I just can't help but think it must be really really nice to maybe get home every single week, you know? Oh. Yeah. That's really that's really beautiful. And it's so that's, true. that's just that's just my thinking on it. No, it's true. It's true. It's true when you should say it. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, I hope that you uh, take the time to listen to Amnesty. I hope that you fall a little bit in love with it. I hope more than anything that it inspires you to pick up a new game yourself. And I hope that you find a group of people that you feel safe with, you feel close to, or that maybe you want to feel a little bit closer to. And you take some time to navigate kind of a scary space with them and see what comes out of it. Because I think you might find something really, really beautiful. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: I also hope that you check out the Cryptid Keeper
1: podcast yeah. on the Lunar Light Studio. Check it out. And I don't know how to end this because I'm so used to my
0: sign-off. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, wow. We should have should have thought that one a little bit further in advance, huh? Well, um, before we finish up for real, I just want to say thank you again to the Lunar Light Studio for having us yes. both on our usual podcast and also on this particular venture. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this little... This little uh, switch em up for the April Fool's Galaxy Warp. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun with it, and I hope that you did too. I hope you enjoyed getting that extra content up in your feeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the Cryptid Keeper podcast anywhere fine podcasts are distributed or on Twitter at CryptkeepPod. Yes. C R Y P T K E P P O D. Thank you so much to Haley and Blue for letting us hold their beautiful, precious child this week and nurture it um, with, I really lost this metaphor very quickly and I don't like where it's going. It's okay, so I'm you not tried going to best. finish it. <laughs> and that's all you can do in raising a child, right? Exactly. Sometimes they just don't work. Uh, if you want to listen to us play monster of the week, you can also find that it's an actual play podcast called a horror Borealis and again you can find that pretty much anywhere podcasts are distributed uh we hope you enjoy it if you decide to come along for the ride i think that's all we have for you guys um the music on this show is all property of the respective individuals listed in the show notes i don't have a comprehensive list because i am not the one editing this audio yeah Chances are some of it is by Griffin McElroy. Probably. So thank you so much to the McElroy family and to all of the many fantastic pieces of art that they produce and create on a regular basis. We are so happy to be a part of this listener base and so happy to be a part of the Lunar Light family. So, um, I love you. I love you. Leave me hanging there, huh? I heard,
1: sorry, I heard a weird noise and it it freaked me out. Um... (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Maybe the real monster was the friends we made along the way. Um. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know how to. <laughs> bye.
1: <laughs> Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.